This is No Love Live with Pastor Tim Warholic. Tim is the senior pastor of Paradise Calvary Chapel in Las Vegas, Nevada. Let's just breeze through quickly for the sake of, um, for the sake of communication. I know, I think most of you, well, about half of you weren't at church this morning, which is fine. That's why we have this service. So for the sake of communication, I'll let you know a few things. If you're new with us. <laughs> A couple of stuff we got coming up. Our sweatshirts are in. They're twenty bucks. Um, like I feel, I, I don't know why I feel obliged to say this frequently, but uh, can you put the sweatshirt slide up? I don't. Uh, we don't make any money off these things, guys. It's not the purpose. It's not the, inten- the intention. It's not our heart. We want to bless people. We want to be able to have tools to share with people, witness to people. I've had people ask me about my sweatshirt, about my shirts, ask about the church. So I think it's cool. Plus, we're very stylish and trendy, so that's a big plus too. Um, 20 bucks, sweatshirts are in. They're at the back. You can get them from the information station. If you pre-ordered, which means you already paid, then you just pick it up in the back. Next Sunday, December 2nd, is church cleaning day. Yeah. What we like to do is we like to have the facility that the Lord's blessed us with, we like to have it presentable, and we like to have it put together because everybody knows that cleanliness is next to godliness. No, it's not. I'm kidding. But in Leviticus, it does talk about the requirements for the priests to come before God. And if you were with us when we went through Leviticus, that's where that saying comes from is the standard for the priests coming before God. But that is not the case now. The purpose is that we can uh, be good stewards of the facility. We, you know, we don't um, treat things poorly. So we have a crew that comes in quarterly, I think. We try to do it quarterly before the holidays and big events. We have our lady social next week. Um, so that means, the, what's that? No, it's, yeah, it's not this week, it's next week, because we're already in this week, um, is Thursday and Friday, so next Sunday we clean for the week, and then we have everything put in order, nice and neat, to be a blessing for the ladies' social, the Christmas social. Um, everybody that stays and helps clean, we provide pizza for. So if pizza is not a motivator for you, and I do not know what is because I do anything for pizza. I'm into fitness, fitness whole pizza in my mouth, if you know what I'm saying. <laughs> you get the jokes on Sunday night. You get the good stuff. Um, I don't know. I don't know. Sorry. We can figure something out, though. I'm down. And then, so hang out after service. Well, that'll be after the second service. We'll have pizza. We'll have lunch together or some kind of food alternative for sure. And then pizza, pizza's provided. And then the ladies' Christmas social is that 
that week, Thursday the 6th and Friday the 7th. It's $10 a person. Sign up to attend at the information station or at the church website. And what I think would be good for you guys, for you ladies, um, this year, it's pretty cool. Hey, guys. This year, the ladies' social is filling up quicker than it has any other year. And I say this like as a praise report to the Lord for sure, 100%. Whoop, whoop, Lord, you're cool. You're awesome. Um, The first year we had uh, 30 ladies. The second year, we had 60 ladies. The next year, we had 120, I believe, last year. And this year, that's why we went to two nights. And I don't know what the final number or what the projected number is going to be, but we're, we're looking at somewhere over that number. So that's cool. We use it as a, as a tool. We want to use it as an opportunity for outreach, non-believing ladies, some, something about women. When you tell them that you're going to dress up and go have little baby sandwiches, they get really excited for some reason. Again, I'm about pizza. Baby sandwiches are not my thing unless you bring me a tray. But some of those ladies put those baby sandwiches away. And when we run out of baby sandwiches, some ladies, they get mad. They're like, what did I come to this social for? But baby sandwiches? And where are all the baby sandwiches at? And I'm like, get that corn out of my face, lady. I've been, making, I've been making sandwiches all day for you. And you just ate, like the equivalent, there's this one lady, like no offense at all. But she came hungry. And I added up all the little pieces and there's like four sandwiches all together. <laughs> it was not you. I think it was Scott, actually. You served, didn't you? He's back there. Nom, 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 nom. <laughs> Love baby sandwich. Love me some baby sandwiches. Anyway, okay. So again, use, use it as an opportunity to invite a friend, neighbor, loved one, ladies like baby sandwiches and dressing up, and it's going to be a blessing. I'm really excited because, bless you, wow, yes. I'm really excited um, because I get to hear my wife teach, which is great. I don't get to hear Gracie teach very often, and she's a gifted teacher, so I'm blessed. Usually we have somebody come in, um, somebody well-known or a Bible teacher person, but this year my lovely bride is going to be doing it, so I know that you guys are going to be blessed. And that's it. Open up with me to Revelation chapter 6. We're going to look at the seals, not the navy seals, different kind, or the seals that are in the ocean. But the actual seals that are closing the scroll that is going to be open, in fact, we'll do a little bit of back reading to get some um, context. But first, let's go to the Lord in prayer. Father, all joking aside, we thank you for tonight. We thank you that we can gather together in your name. We can worship you, God. We can hear from you. We can hear from brothers and sisters who you are moving in their lives. And I pray, Lord, tonight that you would start to stir up somebody to share a word with us next, Saturday, or next Sunday so that I don't have to ask somebody an hour before. Just give them that word. Allow them to operate in their gifts. Have even just to share their testimony. Because we know that you're working. We know that you're moving. You're good. And God, 
we're just humbled that you would allow us to come along for the, for the ride, for the journey. You would include us. So, Father, as we look at your word, there's no desire for us whatsoever to add to or take away from any part of this book that we're reading. So let it say what it says, speak to our hearts, teach us, encourage us in your word. In Jesus' name we pray, amen. On another note, speaking of blessed, I'll tell you guys this quick story because I was super excited. And again, like, you know, these Sunday night service I like because I can, I can just be more open. But um, this morning, first service was pretty normal, but there were a few new faces and you guys know that I don't do altar calls every single service. And the reason is because um, I don't really, I don't want it to become ritual. I don't want it to become a prescription. I don't want it to be something that, that we define you having to do if, if you really believe in Jesus. I want it to, there, it to be a genuine reflection of something that's happened in the heart. And, and um, I, I told this story this morning. I've been meditating on it more lately, but I love the story. I was in Caesarea by the sea, and we were reading the portion of scripture in Acts when an angel appears to Cornelius, a centurion. And did I share this with you guys last week? I can't remember. Or two weeks ago or whatever, after I got back from Israel. And an angel says, call for Peter from Joppa. Send somebody to go get him. He's got a message for you. He's got good news. He's going to tell you something. So the centurion, Roman centurion, Roman military who loves and honors God, sends one of his servants to go down to Joppa from Caesarea on the sea and um, gets Peter in, the, in transit while they're going there. Peter sees the sheet lower down from heaven three times and he says, arise, Peter, kill and eat. God says to Peter, Peter says, not so, Lord, I've never eaten or touched anything unclean. And, and God says to him, whatever I've ca- called clean, you shall not call unclean and and." And that's it. And the vision was over. Then as soon as the vision's over, you know, cue scene two, knock, knock, knock on the door. Here's the servants of the centurion who are summoning Peter to go back to Caesarea on the sea um, to talk to them. They, he gets there. Long story short, I'm, I'm really cutting this down. He gets there. He starts to preach the gospel, tell them about Jesus Christ, and he doesn't even give them an opportunity to respond. He doesn't say, okay, now... We're going to have a moment of silence. Everybody's going to bow their heads and close their eyes, and I want to do an altar call for those of you who want to receive Jesus as your Messiah. You go back and read the story. Peter's preaching the word faithfully. He's preaching about Jesus, and it says the Holy Spirit fell on them. Do you know you can't receive the Holy Spirit unless there's been a change of heart? unless there's been an acceptance of Jesus Christ as the Messiah? At that point, that's when the gift of the Father is given. And they didn't, even, they didn't even have an opportunity. They weren't even provoked by him, pushed by him, emotionally manipulated by him to respond to the gospel. They, they just did it wholeheartedly and they received the gift of the Father. So that's not what I'm about. I'm not about emotional manipulation. Get the piano playing just right. How many numbers do we have? A lot of churches are about numbers. We, we you know, let's not get into it. Get me going somewhere I don't want to go right now. So this morning... I see like one guy, if I'm honest, I see like one guy that has never been here before. And he's a relative of somebody that attends our church. And at the end of the service, the Lord stirs my heart and, he, and he's like, you should give an altar call. And I'm like, well, there's, there's this new guy I've, I haven't I've never seen before. And yeah, for sure. I'll do it today. It's 
especially when you feel the sense like the leading of the Holy Spirit, do it today for this guy. Hopefully he responds, right? So I give the altar call and, and you know how sometimes people have to be coaxed to receive Jesus? <laughs> it's just, come on, I'm going to give you guys one more chance. Anyway, I'm not, I'm not dogging anybody. I'm just saying, I'm just saying that, that there's no time goes by after I give the gospel message and ask for a response. Three hands shoot up, like immediately. And I'm just like, I, I didn't know what to say. Like, I'm like, congratulations. You're now part of God's family. I was so floored. One guy's been coming for like four or five months or something like that, three, four months. Another guy was brand new. And the, and the third guy was the guy that I thought might if he heard it. So Praise the Lord, right? God is so good. Three, three souls as part of God's family, and it was a moving in their heart. I want to apologize again. I do not mean to pick on anybody. I'm just very passionate about not being too emotional in my presentation of the gospel. It is, it is emotional, and it can get emotional, so, so that's good, but I'm just, so I apologize. I don't, I don't mean to, to come across that way. So, pray for them, please. These three guys, men, men, who are now part of God's family. Pray for them. I got to talk to them afterwards and pray that they grow in their faith, they get plugged into fellowship, and they are surrounded by other believers who can encourage them and lift them up on the journey of faith that they started today, okay? All right, so, chapter 6 Verse 1, now I saw when the lamb opened one of the seals and heard one of the four living creatures crying with a voice like thunder, come and see. Now remember, who is the lamb? Jesus Christ. Why is he the one opening the seals? I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to push you guys on Sunday night. Why? He's good. Terry, you nailed it. I got it here, a lollipop. He was the only one worthy. He was the only one on, up above heaven, under heaven, anywhere imaginable. He was the only one worthy to open the seal. The only one worthy. To, to the point where at the delay, John starts crying because there's nobody to open the seal. And then finally he says, the guy says, hey, don't cry. There is somebody. It's the lion of the tribe of Judah. The, and the, this lamb comes out. And he is worthy. So John says he saw the lamb and he opened one of the seals. And I heard one of the four living creatures saying like a voice, a voice like thunder, come and see. And I looked and behold, a white horse. He who sat on it had a bow and the crown was given to him. And he went out conquering and to conquer. Now the book of Revelation is a book that is surrounded in much controversy. There's so many camps of people that have passionate opinions about the interpretation of the book of Revelation. This is what I would say. It's way more simple. It's way more simple than it is difficult. And anybody that makes the book of Revelation more complicated than it really is just at face value, obviously it's going to be somewhat difficult if, if God is giving us things in visions and parables. It's going to be a little bit difficult. And so it means that we cannot know exactly 100% positively for sure what is being said. But we have a direction that we're going, and it's prophecy that's going to be fulfilled, okay? So we can take confidence that God has communicated it to us, 
and we can take confidence that he did it for a purpose. Therefore, we do not need to, it's not necessary to allegorize things into the text because this is what happens. Um, a, a, A good friend of mine, who those of you who are taking the Bible college courses on Tuesday night, this is what I learned from Tommy Bertoli in our um, in our Bible college class in 2001. I forget which class it was, but it was, um, yeah, I forget now. But he said, this is the problem. If you can, <laughs> you want me to imitate Tommy? This is the problem. If you can do gymnastics with one text, one verse in the Bible, then you can do gymnastics with any, any verse in the Bible. You could make it say whatever you want it to say, whatever you want it to mean. And he's right. Do gymnastics. Have you ever seen people do gymnastics? It's twisting and flipping and all over the place in his Brooklyn, New York accent. So if one person says that they can come up allegorically with some kind of interpretation that is that has superseded everybody else's because they're more special or, or whatever else they want to say. Um, it's complicating the text more than it needs to be. What we do know is that it's been communicated to us that these things are, are to happen when? Do, do you remember? When? What's that? Yes, in the future. So this is what's happened now, the vision of Jesus, the revelation of Jesus, uh, or this is... What's happening, what's happened now with the seven churches, the revelation of Jesus Christ, the seven churches, and then what will happen after. So we see this is a future fulfillment, a culmination of the history of the world. On another note, if anybody gets dogmatic, like too dogmatic, just be, let's be careful, because I do realize that, that um, some people are probably closer to the truth than others, but when anybody gets too dogmatic about... Uh, future prophecies of the Bible, you have to be very careful because even the disciples themselves had no idea what Jesus was actually doing and saying. Like he was literally telling them to their face, I, he was speaking slow, I am going to die. I am going to raise from the dead. I'm going to come back to life. I'm going to appear to you. This is where I want you to meet me. What did the disciples do after Jesus died? It says they went back to Galilee and started fishing again. They went back to their old careers. Did they listen to what Jesus said? No. Were they, were they displaying a lack of faith? Yes. When it says they doubted, doubting is a lack of faith. That's the definition of doubting. They were not believing what Jesus had said to them, and therefore they didn't really get the big picture. So if that was spoken in clear language to them, And we don't have such clear language in future prophecies for the church in the future. Then why do we get so cocky and confident about what God's going to do tomorrow? We don't know. We get a snapshot. We get a picture. It's like, you know, uh, Nintendo 64, 64 64-bit. Now we have video games in high definition and everything's super clear. But, you know, back then when you played, what's that one game, Pong? It's a bunch of square. What's that? Atari, yeah, Pong. It's like you got a bunch of squares going back and forth. So we see, we see it in form. We see it in function. God wants to communicate it to us, but he doesn't want people, he doesn't want people ex- exhorting some kind of, or exuding some kind of authority over others for some kind of special Bible knowledge that they, that they say they have. They don't have it. They don't have it. And they don't, they don't really know. They, they're, they're Nicolaitans, to say the least. So he says, now I saw the lamb open one of the seals and I heard of the four living creatures saying with a voice like thunder, come and see. And I looked and behold, a white horse, he who sat on it 
had a bow and a crown was given to him, and he went out conquering and to conquer. Now, it is interesting to take note, if you're a note taker, that the first four seals are for the first four horsemen, okay? The four horsemen come directly out of each seal. This is interesting because we'll see later on in seals, some seals are compounded to have multiple things happening at the same time. But for the horsemen, it's four distinct seals. And I personally, personally believe that it's four distinct seals because it's four different time periods that this happens. That doesn't necessarily have to be separate from each other. They can be su- successive to each other, but it is something that is happening that needs to have a distinction or a set-apart time for each. Some people believe that it's all happening at the same time. Bottom line, we're not really positive. We're not really sure. But we do know that it's speaking of the future events. We do know that it's the, the, the continuing and the fulfillment of time. And we do know that it's God's revelation to us of what's going to happen on the earth. Some people believe that the man on the white horse is Jesus Christ himself. This is not possible in pretty much any shape or form. This is not possible. Jesus is, Jesus is a conqueror, but he doesn't go out um, with a bow and a crown and killing people. Now, we're going to get to the judgment portion of the book of Genesis, but it is not connected to Jesus in this sense here with the, with the one on the white horse. So a few things that, that we have to notice. The, the color of the horse was what? White. What does white in the Bible signify? Purity. Go ahead. Oh, man, you guys are too quick. You were. Good job. If it, 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 uh, it also is used to speak of holy people. So this person has a bow, which, what does that mean? You know, typically people who are on a horse are, are already at an advantage. Why? If you break it down to, to warfare, tactical warfare, people who are on horses that are at an advantage because they have higher ground. Anytime anybody has higher ground against you, they, they automatically have a benefit and an advantage over you. They can do stuff looking down on you that you cannot do the same up to them. That's why even when you're fighting in a war, any kind of higher ground is an advantage. Interesting, when we were in Israel, I never knew this, and at, at first I really didn't care to stop at this site. But we stopped at this site called Nimrod's Castle. And it was a fortress that was built by Muslims in the... Huh, you're asking me for details now. Long, 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 long time ago, I can't remember. But it's this huge fortress, and they took us up, and we, we had an opportunity. What they said to us was, you guys go out into this fortress and check it out and, and, um, and write a psalm. This is the area that David was in, and we want you to write your own psalm. So that was the instruction. And so we went out and walked around. And the, the, the way that the castle is built, when you look out, I've got some pictures of it. I can't show you now because I didn't prepare them. But when you look out, you can see the whole valley from the top to the bottom. And the reason they called it Nimrod's castle, it wasn't because it was connected to Nimrod. It was because uh, they had the advantage. Nimrod was referred to as the great hunter or the hunter of men. And he would go out, he was a warrior. So they had this advantage, and, and there was a different part in the Golan Heights that uh, the um, 
somebody was occupying and they were coming against Israel. And on the Golan Heights, we drove up on the bus to the top and you could see the whole valley again of all the Jewish settlements that were coming in. And they said that they would have mortars up there. And, and at any time, unannounced, whenever they felt like it, they would take their mortars and they would, they would focus on a position and they would just shoot rockets at it. I mean, it's still happening today, but this is literally the enemy had the higher ground and they were just throwing fiery darts. There was a bombing those down below. So we have this picture of this guy on a horse who's not only at an advantage because he's on higher ground, he has the benefit in, in the warp, in the fighting part of it, but he also has a bow, which you guys know that a bow is also an advantage. Why? Because it's a ranged attack. It's not even close. It's not even that you have to get up with a sword and stab somebody, or you have to melee them and then try to stab them, or a spear where you're a little bit further away and you're not going to let them get close. You stab when they come in. But when you have a bow and arrow, I mean, you can be all the way over there. Have you ever seen Lord of the Rings? Those people shoot bow and arrows far. And they got the, I love the whole army. It's like, and all these arrows coming down. So here's this guy who's bent on conquest. He's part of the seals. One seal cannot be good and the other three bad. If, one's, if the other three are bad, then this one's bad too. So if taking all these things into consideration, somebody who presents themselves as holy and righteous, he's clothed in white, he's on a white horse. Somebody who is a conqueror, somebody who has, it seems, uh, some political power. He had a crown given to him, right? So he has some kind of political power. What kind of person in biblical language would I be describing to you? The Antichrist. So here we have the introduction, the first seal that's open. We have the introduction of the Antichrist. Now, uh, uh, the New Testament also talks about how the spirit of the Antichrist has come on the earth. So throughout history, there has been many Antichrists, uh, not, not restricted to a singular Antichrist that we are going to see that, that the Bible also specifically says is going to come. There's been these mini Antichrists, um, one per, you know, some people would, would argue that Hitler, for instance, was a mini antichrist. Why? Because he actually used the church for his agenda, to further his agenda, and force them to come under his authority instead of God being his authority. He was doing whatever he wanted to do. And that would be like a, a, some kind of a picture of an, a mini antichrist. But this guy is an antichrist. He's going to be given political power. He's going to have uh, tactical advantage from range, and he's going to be displayed as the right kind of person, a savior. He's going to be portrayed as a savior that's going to take care of people and help people, but instead he goes out and he, he is conquering the land to conquer. That's the first seal, the first horse, the white horse. The second seal when he opened the second seal, I heard the second living creature saying, come and see. Remember these four living creatures that were around the throne of God. And I like how John always waits to be summoned over or to be called to come see. Do you guys notice that? All these details are there on purpose. John is here. He's waiting for instruction. He's not running ahead. We would do well that whenever we're seeking the Lord, that we don't run ahead, we wait on instruction, and then when he gives us the confirmation or the calling, then we step forward in faith. 
get ourselves into trouble. Sometimes he calls us to step quicker. Sometimes he calls us to step slower. But it still needs to be in confidence that it's something that God is instructing us or leading us to do. He says, come over here and see another horse. Fiery red went out, and it was granted to the one who sat on it to take peace from the earth. That's the key word for the second horse in red, if you're taking notes or if you're a Bible underliner. I underlined or boxed in, rather, because it's my IBS method. Take peace from the earth. So the peace that is on the earth is a gift from God. Do you guys understand that? When God takes his peace away, he doesn't even have to stir things up. Like people are already in a bad place, super bad. And all he has to do is, is take the peace away and people will be at each other's throats, rabid, killing each other. And this is all that has to happen. So it says, the fiery red horse went out and it was granted to the one who sat on it to take peace from the earth and that people should kill one another and there was given to him a great sword. What's the perfect example of this in our daily context today? We just experienced it on Black Friday. Go into a store, peace is taken out and havoc ensues, riotousness, living. It's crazy the things that people do to each other for a TV. One of the best memes I saw over Thanksgiving was of Rocky after he won the match, totally pummeled. You know how that, you know, and Rocky, his face is just bulging, totally pummeled. And he's saying, Adrian, I got us a TV. So <laughs> I can't imagine what it would be like when by the grace of God, the peace of the earth is taken away. You know, the doomsdayers and preppers, they are all about predicting different ways that mankind is going to see its demise. And it all has to do with the peace of God being taken away from the earth. I'm going to get more to that in the next seal with the next horseman, because I do want to talk about that a little bit. But he says, he takes peace from the earth and that people should kill each other. And there was given to him a great sword. Do you guys know what a great sword is? Um, I, I like war. I've always been intrigued with war and fighting. A great sword is an actual type of sword, and it is what its name implies. It's a very large sword. Like you see those, it's a long sword. Like you see those gladiator guys with those big old honking swords. If you had a, if you had a, a, a figure to throw out there, what would you guess that the nations of the world spend on military on an annual basis? What do you think it would be? This is an actual statistical figure. How much do you think? Over a trillion dollars a year on military capabilities. Now, we've talked about millions and trillions before. How much is, what was it, a million dollars? A million dollars is the height of a chair, four feet or so tall. I'm not going to go through all of them, but how tall, if you stack dollar bills face-to-face -face on top of each other, how many dollar bills would it take for you to get to a trillion? Does anybody remember? That's, that's a, a billion. A trillion is past the International Space Station in outer space. Dollar bills from the ground, stacked up a trillion, past, well, I think, past and half of the International Space Station in outer space. That's how much money is spent. You know, Apple was the first corporation or company to surpass a trillion dollars, which is, which is huge. And then, you know, you had some other people fall, follow suit, just a couple others right after that. 
So a trillion dollars a year, people are preparing to kill each other. And all it's going to take is a moment when God, uh, in his sovereignty, he doesn't even provoke people. He doesn't do anything to them. He just removes the peace. What's the Holy Spirit given to the earth to do? To convict the world of sin, of righteousness, and the coming judgment. So the Holy Spirit's testifying of these things. People do not care. They've rejected God and they're getting ready. They're amassing armies to murder each other. Is that insane? And we see the second seal open and this horse, fiery red that comes out, who's granted uh, to take away the peace from the earth. The people should kill one another and was given to him a great sword. I'd say a trillion dollars a year is a great sword. When he opened the third seal, you, you notice how these horsemen are distinctive seals, okay? There's a progression that's happening. When he opened the third seal, I heard the third living creature say, come and see. So I looked and behold a black horse and he who sat on it had a pair of scales in his hand. And I heard a voice in the midst of the four living creatures saying, a quart of wheat for a denarius and three quarts of barley for a denarius. And do not harm the oil and wine. This is speaking of scarcity or, or severe famine that's going to happen on the earth. And, and without getting into the pricing equivalents and trying to do that, let's just, let's just let's make it just a straight across deal. The prices that are quoted here are 12 times higher than what they would normally be. So whatever you're paying for a gallon of gas right now, times that by 12. But it's not talking about gas. It's talking about what? It's talking about wheat. It's talking about grain. What do you make out of wheat and grain? What do you make? Food, bread. It's, it's for you to eat. So it's for you to survive. It's going to cost you 12 times more than it costs you now to eat on a monthly basis. How many of you guys have a budget? Does anybody have a budget? What's your budget? If you don't mind sharing, I'll share mine. I don't care. It's not a big deal. But what's your budget for food a month? Somebody. 400? So what's 400 times 12? I'm not a math guy. That was an easy one and I still didn't know. 4,800. How, how much is your mortgage? Yeah, whatever. Whatever it is. $1,000, $2,000, right? So it's going to cost you, it would cost me almost five times what my mortgage is to feed, my, to, to feed your family for, on a monthly basis. And you're only three. Our budget's 800. And, and still, what would mine be? What's eight times? Yes, 9,600. It's going to be hard to live, but this is an interesting thing. This one is given to um, bring famine on the earth. There's scarcity. A quarter of wheat for a denarius and three quarts of barley for a denarius. Do not harm the the oil and the wine. What does this oil and wine have anything to do with? Okay, so how long can you live without food? 40 days, you know, plus or minus, whatever. How long can you live without water? Three days or you die. Dehydration sets in. In the desert, it can be even faster. It can be within one day that dehydration sets in and your body starts to shut down. If you didn't have any food, how long would you be able to survive by drinking oil? How long? Maybe four days? I mean, 
maybe a little bit longer. The point is it's not bread. So the cost of the, the, the oil stays the same. Cost of the bread's out, 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 through the roof. How long would you be able to survive with no bread but, but wine? You, had, you got plenty of wine. How long would you be able to survive? Probably less than three days because you'd set in dehydration and you'd be in big trouble. You'd have to drink water too, but still then, you know, you're getting maybe some nutrients. You want to argue, I don't, whatever. The point is the price of wine's not going to change. It's not touched. So you go into the supermarket, the supermarket, there's nothing, there's no food in there. But you go down to the wine and the, the, the oil aisle and you got plenty of stuff. What are you going to do with it though? Nothing. It's going for the going price. In fact, we'll sell it to you for less so we can make money to go buy some bread because everybody's starving. <clears throat> now, there is more allegorical approaches to take to this. I think that we can just let the, the word speak for itself. You, you have a picture that's being formed. There's going to be a famine, and the thing that's going to be affected, there's going to be shortage. The thing that's going to be affected is your ability to consume food to stay alive. Now, enter stage right for, you know, for fun, mostly. These preppers of today. You guys ever meet a prepper before? I love preppers. They're my brothers and sisters. A lot of Christian preppers, which is good. Hey, I, I, I was at Costco a couple weeks ago, and I did not know this. Costco sells a bucket of meals that will get you through, I think, 60 or 90 days, three months, 90 days. 90 days worth of meals. And, and all you have to do is buy it. Everything could be made uh, just with water. So basically MREs, meals ready to eat. I was almost going to get one, but I didn't have, I didn't have enough money. But, but why not? You know, why not? 60 bucks. 60 bucks. So you, I was, there was a guy there that I didn't know. He's like, look at that bucket. And we started talking, you know. And he's like, man, I should get that bucket just to go on a diet. And then I'll lose weight. I'll save money. And I'll be really happy because, you know, I'm skinny and rich. Those were my words, not his. But that was what he was insinuating, you know. So you have these prepper people who are getting ready. And to some degree, you know, it's wise. It is wise. And I think the biggest thing that you're going to need, um, as you can see, not so much the bucket of food as much as buckets of water. Because if you don't have the water, you can't make the food. And I know people who have built in underground cisterns to store water so that they can last longer than other people do so they can get through some of these things. Now, we see that some of the devastation is going to be very, very, very bad, right? To some degree or another, we should be prepared. But we do not need to be prepared, or our heart needs to be in a place where we're not preparing to miss the rapture. If that's what your intentions are, to live like hell today so you can do whatever you want. But then when the rapture happens, now you know it's re real deal, but you're okay because you've prepped. Now you can last a little longer. It's probably not the right heart or the right intention for it. So um, people don't realize how delicate our ecosystem is, especially since technology's progressed. Let me ask you guys a question. How did your crop of cabbage come in this year? How'd your carrots do? Very well, that's good. Very little, that's bad. Baby carrots, yeah. Yeah, your corn, how big is your corn? You don't have any, you didn't grow anything because nobody grows anything. You don't do that, you go to the store and you buy it. 
And one of the biggest arguments that preppers have right now is that if an EMP was let off or, or put off over the center of the United States of America, an electromagnetic pulse, and it wiped out all electrical, uh, that means no, no transportation of food. Your cities are going to become zombie zones of people doing whatever it takes to get what they want from each other. And it's going to go south quick. It's going, it's going to go bad. But the point again is here, there's a warning coming with this third seal that there's going to be a famine. There's going to be the scarcity. And um, it's not talking about preparation, but these are some of the verses that preppers use um, so that if anything does happen outside of God's judgment, because that's not what we're talking about. We're not talking about God's judgment on us because we are exempt from the judgment of God. Um, they're going to be ready to, to whatever degree. So my argument with my brother, whom I love and is a prepper, is, you know, well, he starts saying, well, what are you going to do if this happens? What are you going to do if that happens? Well, I'm going to be in heaven because and, and, I'm going to be raptured, and you're going to probably have to worry about living or dying down here. That's what I say to him because we're, he's my brother, you know, so we, we hit back and forth at each other. And I'm like, you need to get right with the Lord, dude. He's like, I am right with the Lord. I'm like, all right, I don't know. Just, just saying, you know, confidence is in our stuff. And then the Lord will let us take care of ourselves. When our confidence is in him, he's always faithful to take care of us. On that note, be wise. Take care of your family. But trust God in the end for the way things are going to unfold all right, fourth seal. When he opened the fourth seal, I heard the voice of the fourth living creature saying, come and see. So I looked and behold, a pale horse, and the name of him who sat on it was death. And Hades followed after him, and power was given to them over a fourth of the earth to kill his, with sword, with hunger, and with death by the beasts of the earth. So this is crazy. This is just absolute craziness. This is all hell breaks loose. Literally, all hell breaks loose. Here's the, the last horseman on a pale horse, and Hades is coming behind him. And it says, they are given this power. Whenever I read this verse, I cannot get the scene of Wyatt Earp riding to go get the bad guys. And he says, tell them I'm coming, and hell's coming with me. This is quoting this Bible verse, because they're coming for vengeance, etc., Super good movie, but we can't, can't go there. Um, but we see as this force seals open, there's widespread death on the earth. Power had been given over to them to kill a fourth of the earth. Does anybody know what the population of the earth is currently at? Anybody at all? What is it? A little higher. Anybody else? It's about 8 billion the last time I heard. We can check it out, but I'm pretty sure it's close to 8 billion people. So what's a quarter of eight? Two. Two billion people. Do you know how many people live in the United States presently? Any idea? 360 million-ish. Put into or take away from the two billion that would technically today be taken out by the pale rider that has Hades following after him that has been given the power over the fourth to kill with a sword, with hunger, with death, and by the beasts of the earth. 
There's going to be difficulty in the living conditions. People are going to be leaving urban areas, going out into less populated areas. They think that they're getting to safety, but the animals are also going to be in difficult times because of the food shortages, etc. And, and they're going to be preying on the people that are leaving these urban protection areas, cities. Uh, sorry, I'm not trying to scare you guys. I'm just... <laughs> Uh, most, most people would believe in our camp, Calvary Chapel, that the raptures already happened. So you don't have to worry about this. I forgot to mention that. So don't worry. The rapture is the point where, um, we are taken up from the earth. I'm going to talk about it more specifically and more in depth at a certain time, because there is a distinction between, say that again. What? I didn't say that. I didn't. I said the rapture already happened? In context to what we just read? Okay. Okay. Yeah, the rapture hasn't happened yet. Otherwise, I wouldn't be here. You guys might be, but I, would, I wouldn't be here. Yeah, these guys wouldn't be here. So, so the rapture is what happens to believers in Jesus Christ before the destruction or the judgment of the earth. Um, we're not going to get there tonight. I wanted to talk more about it in Ezekiel chapter 7, uh, starting in verse, in verse uh, 5, but, but any, after the sealed. But um, we're going to get more into it. We're going to talk more about it. But quickly, we should not be having to worry about it. Uh, the believers in Jesus Christ, God's children are not destined to wrath. The wrath of God is very specifically poured out on the earth towards people who are in rebellion against and have rejected God. This is what the picture that the New Testament paints for us. And the Old Testament too. Like, How many examples do you have where God sets a mark on people that they either endure through the tribulation which is what we're going to look at in Ezekiel, uh, I guess next week now, or um, Noah and the flood, they were preserved or completely taken out. So the idea is that the, the rapture will have happened. These things are going to be happening to those people on the earth. But again, we'll, we'll get back into it a little bit more. So death is going to happen. If it happened today, close to 2 billion people and pretty much haywire. It's just going nuts. It's going crazy on earth. All hell has broken loose. Verse 9, when he opened the fifth seal, I saw under the altar the souls of those who had been slain for the word of God and for the testimony which they held. And they cried with a loud voice saying, how long, O Lord, holy and true, until you judge and avenge our blood on those who dwell on the earth? And a white robe was given to each of them, and it was said to them that they should rest a little while longer until both the number of their fellow servants and their brethren who would be killed as they were was completed. So now we see the souls of those who were slain uh, under the altar. Now, under the altar was where the blood was to be placed or the blood was placed on the altar and it would drip down to this area under the altar. And it's speaking of a sacrifice that somebody is willing to make that, that is present with connected to the actual seed of God. Like these people gave their lives as a sacrifice and, and their martyrdom is to be considered not in that they died technically in how they lived, which was the reason they died. 
So it was how, what their character was while they were alive that the world decides to judge them. And, and, and Jesus says, hey, if they, if they persecuted me and they killed me, well, are you better than me? What do you expect? They're going to treat you the same way. You're going to receive persecution by being a witness of God the Father and me, his son, Jesus Christ. So here these souls are under the altar. There's a few interesting things to look at with this um, that we, you know, we can't get too into it, but he opened the fifth seal. They were under the altar. They were the souls. And it says that they've been slain for what? For the word of God. For the word of God. One of the, the things that I enjoy the most about being a pastor is um, studying God's word. Man, it is heavy. It is good. It is rich. It's a feast. And I guarantee you, 100% money back guarantee, if you dig into God's word and you feast on it, if you're at church every service and you allow God's word to go to work in your heart, you will be uh, the, the opposite of who you are today for his glory. Amen. To the point so much so that you'll go out into the world and they will recognize that you are different and they will reject you because you are different. Because the world wants you to identify with and submit to their policies and what they say is right or wrong. This isn't a standing issue of saying, this is what I believe is right or wrong. It's just the, the way that we respond to situations and the way people will perceive and see our lives will be so dramatically different that people will want to kill you. Have you, have you ever been persecuted for doing the right thing before? Yeah, I have. Many times. People don't like me because I want to do the right thing. I don't want to submit to some kind of corruption that they're a part of because then they think that they're going to get found out or whatever and then they want to get rid of me. It's the same way in the world when they find out that you're not for them in the sense that you're willing to allow the corruption to happen, then they're against you. What else does it say that they were slain for? Their testimony. Your testimony as a believer in Jesus Christ is one of the most powerful things that you have. Because you can learn theology, you can be dogmatic about all kinds of different issues, you could be the smartest person in the world when it comes to biblical knowledge, and, and somebody else will go up on a stage in front of a thousand people and argue with you their point doesn't matter how brilliant you are. You could be Ravi Zacharias. And there will always be somebody there to, to, to argue whether you're right or wrong. This is a lesson I learned in Bible college that still holds true for me today that, that I use from time to time. One of my professors said in my theology class, if somebody, if you can argue somebody into heaven, then somebody else can argue them out. If all it is is a mental exercise and you're proving points and making points, then, then you're, you're diluting the true gospel of Jesus Christ. But the indwelling of the Holy Spirit is the evidence or the evidence of the indwelling of the Holy Spirit is the power of a changed life. You cannot help but have your life altered by the Spirit of God when he comes to dwell inside of you. Period. And there's no arguing it. And then what you start to cultivate is a testimony. What is that? It's your story that God wants you to have. 
And people say, oh, I don't know how to share the gospel. I don't know the right verses. And I don't know what to say. And what if they want to argue? I don't know how to argue back and all that. I say, listen, forget about all that stuff. Tell them how God changed your life. You know why? Because nobody can argue with you about that. They can try. They can say, oh, God's not real. Oh, God's real. This is what God did in my life. That doesn't mean that that was God. Oh, it sure was. And this is how I know, because God did the impossible. He delivered me from the household of bondage. He delivered me. He split the Red Sea. He fed me with manna from heaven in the wilderness. God did miraculous things in my life. And there's no way that you would be able to understand that. And that's why I'm telling you right now that God is real. What are they going to say? They can't argue with that. And it's going to come to the point when people are sharing their testimonies and the world has so rejected God and rebelled against him that they're going to be willing to kill those with the testimony to shut them up so that they don't want to have, they don't have to deal whatsoever with God or the things that he's doing in people's lives. The word of God and their testimony. If you notice nowadays, again, I'm not going to get off on a rant, but you have to be careful. I say nowadays, but it has happened throughout all of history. If you study church history, you can see that every time the world gets into a very peculiar situation or the church is in a very bad place, historically speaking, it's because there's been a departure from the word of God. We start to focus more on talking about, you know, happy things and puppy paws and rainbows and unicorns and fluffy things that make us feel good and warm and and fuzzy inside. We depart from God's word. Things will start to go downhill quick. But when we start to preach and teach God's word, hearing a faith comes by hearing, hearing by the word of God, it produces faith in our lives. We're able to do things that we wouldn't normally do. Our lives start to be changed. So they, they had the word of God and they had their testimony, which they held. And it's not just their own personal testimony. It's the testimony of Jesus Christ would be more accurate. But that is applied to my life and produces a testimony in and of itself that testifies and points to him, Right? And they cry with a loud voice saying, how long will you, will, you, will you avenge us? Down below, we can see until both the number of their fellow servants and their brethren would, would like, uh, who would be killed as they were completed. The number, I'm not going to get too much into this. It's not necessary. But the number specifically, it's not there in the Greek. It's not necessary to put there. The translators put it there to help give clarity. There's not a certain number necessarily. The Bible's not saying there's a certain number. But I'm sure that if we know God is sovereign, then there is a certain number, right? There, there, technically, there is going to be a certain number. But there's going to be a certain amount of people, whatever that may be, who will be killed until that is completed, I looked, and when he opened the sixth seal, behold, there was a great earthquake, and the sun became black as sackcloth of hair, and the moon became like blood, and the stars of heaven fell to the earth as a fig tree drops its late figs when it is shaken by a mighty wind. Throughout Scripture, we see um, cosmic, cataclysmic cosmic events are always connected to end times prophecy or a moving of God. Even in the Old Testament, it's always connected. And the sky receded as a scroll when it is rolled up. Every mountain and island was moved out of its place. And the kings of the earth and the great men, the rich men, the commanders, the mighty men, every slave and every free man hid themselves in the caves and in the rocks of the mountains and said to the mountains and rocks, fall on us and hide us from the face of him who sits on the throne and from the wrath of the Lamb. 
For the great day of his wrath has come, and who is able to stand? It's interesting to me that sinners are more dreadful of God's revealing himself, his revealing his presence, than they are of death itself. They're more dreadful of the revelation that God is real and that he's looking at them than, than, of, than of death itself. I can't imagine what it's going to be like to, to stand before the throne of God. I cannot wrap my head around it whatsoever. But it just gives us a little taste of, of what the end time period is going to look like. I wanted to be able to get through chapter 7 as well, but it's, it's not... It's, it's, it's okay. We're going to be able to do that next week. But um, these, these seals that we have looked at so far, these uh, six seals, they, uh, it, 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 technically the seal of Israel in seven is included in that sixth seal, which is the largest seal that, that's open, like I said, sometimes in some seals is very quick and final. Some there's more events that are happening together that take place. This is what chapter 7 is about, all the sixth seal before we get to the seventh seal, which is the opening of the, the trumpets. And, and uh, we'll talk more about that later. But all this to say, not very frequently is, is time talked about in the, in the book of Revelation. In fact, one of the only times up until this point of, of just a couple is this, this picture of the souls in heaven, which is interesting, under the altar, and, and, and they speak about time, how much longer. And the reason that they speak about time is this is indicative of people, most people would say, this is ind indicative of that they are in this, this um, seven-year tribulation period. That's what most people would say. When the Antichrist has come, the world's going through all kinds of crazy stuff, and God is preparing, and again, some people would argue both ways. We've seen tribulation on the earth. What we haven't seen is specifically what's referred to as the judgment of God, which is coming up in the bold judgments. But um, the, the question is, um, or the answer to the question, is the world is being primed for that time where there's a pouring out of God's wrath. And I'd like to end with, again, no matter how you feel about what we covered tonight, or, or I know you probably have questions about it, um, but, but, the, but the thing that we need to stop and think about and meditate on is that God's children are not appointed to wrath. We're not. Could you imagine, you know, if... if somebody came and kidnapped one of your kids and they took them away and you just happened to have a machine gun, 50 cal on top of your SUV and you grab the wife and you take off after them and, 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 and I'm like, Gracie, you man the, the, the truck and I'll, I'll take care of the machine gun. And as they're driving down the road, here I am, you know, with vengeance, just tearing into that car. I'm going to kill those guys. They're going to, you know, they're going to suffer my wrath for taking my kid. All the while, my kid's in the trunk or the back seat. What do you think is going to happen? They're going to get shot. You think God's going to allow his children to be a casualty of friendly fire? No. There's going to be a protection. I know that that's a silly illustration. I apologize, but the point is, it still stands. That when it is time for God 
to hold people accountable for what they've done and said, and there will be accountability that, that is required, he's not going to include us in the punishment process that they're going to have to go through. Okay? Does that make sense? Let's have the worship team come up, and we'll finish up with our last song. Father, we thank you tonight for your word. Again, it's not our desire to become know-it-alls or dogmatic about things. We want a, a, a good picture. We do want clarity, so we pray in the future in this book that we will have that. We'll see clarity with these things, God. But um, we thank you for Sunday nights and for those who are here tonight, those who want to hear from you, those who want to see you. And I, and I trust that, that you have shown, God, that you've revealed yourself in Jesus' name. Amen.